Good morning, church. It's good to see all your beautiful faces this morning. Didn't Mosley did awesome, right? So good. Let me tell you, you don't want me coming out here to sing special music, right? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thank you for having my back, man. As somebody here needs to know. My, yeah, my, my grandfather, some of you have heard this before, I might have mentioned it, um, was a pastor in Pennsylvania at the Connemaw Church of the Brethren. And uh, it, was, it was traditional that when they would start their worship session, which was they would sing hymns from books, um, and they had the, 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 the little lady that every old church comes with at the organ, um, she would start, and my, my, my grandfather would begin the service with, he would lead the song first. And uh, the congregation learned very quickly that they had to come in very quickly after. Because they said he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Actually, at one time, they gave him a bucket full of cut-up music notes. So he could finally carry a tune in a bucket. I inherited those genes, guys. Those are the genes I inherited. I can make a joyful noise before the Lord. That's it. That's what I bring to the table. Um, so yeah, God bless. Thank you mostly for doing it. That's awesome. Thank you, worship team. Um, I love that we're in this, um, this series talking about Christmas carols, right? Because we all have a favorite Christmas carol, amen? Right? We all have a favorite. We all have one that we grew up knowing. Um, and Christmas carols are such a good, like, anchor point to our lives, Amen. You with me, right? There's this, this awesome thing about Christmas carols is that it, it's, it's one of the few things in our culture that tends to just stay the same, right? It's always, it's this thing we can rely on because I'll tell you, music changes week to week, right? Like the thing that's on the radio, the thing that's cool, what's popular, you know, unless you're listening to 99.1, right? Which, you know, I know all the songs that are on there, amen. God bless them. The church needs to be a little bit more innovative with material, but that's all right. That's a different, that's a different subject. Um, well, actually, I think we are. I think just 99.1 knows what works, you know. They know, they know the beats that hop. Um, but there's, there's um, it's this thing that, that it, of all the things that change year to year, uh, decade to decade, these are some of the, the traditional songs that come back and kind of bring us back to the meaning of Christmas. And that was always their original intent for many of these Christmas carols. And if we are not careful, what can end up happening is these just become white noise, right? We just put them on the background where we're doing dishes or baking cookies or pretending we're in a Hallmark movie, right? Uh, that, that we can just, we, they can just become the static behind the scenes and it's just that thing that's on. And we can miss some of the power that comes, that the authors wrote into these Christmas carols, into these, these original songs. Um, I love that Pastor Jim kicked us off with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, two weeks ago, last week, Gabrielle talked about uh, a, a modern Christmas carol, Mary Did You Know, which I thought was awesome. And we're, we're, we're starting today with uh, the Christmas carol, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, right? Now, this, here's what's interesting. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a history, a little background of this, uh, this, this piece of music because it comes at a, a unique time in history. It's one of the oldest Christmas carols, and it's considered to be the oldest Christmas carol that we have. It actually dates back to like as early as the 1600s, right? That's, that's a little ways ago. Um, and it, it, if you think about it, right, it, when you think about like Christmas in the 1800s, I don't know about you, but I think of like, wow, that sounds great. <laughs> Let's go back to then. Christmas in the 1600s sounds like a hoot, you know? 
Um, it, like, it sounds like a really great time to be alive. What a festive time, because right now the world just seems so crazy. Can I tell you, I did some learning when it comes to the Christmas carol here, right? Europe in the 1600s, it was not a fun place to be, right? Because all I think about is like, okay, sure, they didn't have dentists, woohoo, and they didn't have any plumbing. Well, that stinks, but otherwise, everything seems great. But Europe in the 1600s, 1700s, I'm sorry if I keep popping my mic, I'm getting passionate and I'm shouting. Um, Europe in the 1600s was a period of intense upheaval. Most people don't realize. Um, let's just give you, let me just paint the picture, okay, right? You live in the 1600s. Here's some of the things that are going on. Here's your headlines. You turn on the proverbial CNN of the 1600s, right, or Fox News or Newsmax, whatever you're listening to. You'll find that there were consistently plagues that would wipe out like whole villages, like just gone. And you wouldn't know about it until mail just stops arriving from there, right? Um, there was mass famine and crop failure. Uh, there were two simultaneous eruptions that took place with uh, volcanoes that caused a global cooling that they refer to as the mini ice age, uh, which sets up the backdrop for the American Revolution because that's why uh, George Washington crossed the Delaware and it was all icy. Delaware is not normally all icy in the winter. I don't know if you've noticed, right? It's because there was a mini ice age that caused huge amounts of crop failure, right? It was not a fun time. There was also um, a civil war that was taking place currently in England. And then prior to that, there was the 30 years war. And then prior to that one, there was the 100 years war, right? It was a little spicy, shall we say, in Europe. It was so bad Oh, and by the way, in the 1700s, with the arrival of, um, like, commerce and, and mining in the Americas, there was a huge influx of silver and gold into Europe, which caused hyper-runaway inflation. Like, like, huge amounts of inflation. Inflation, you and I, like, we, I mean, I go, don't get me wrong, I go to the grocery store, and I'm like, I bought five items. You have to try to tally it again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel that way every time I go to the grocery store. But this is like, this is like levels of like your money's worthless levels uh, of hyperinflation. It was so bad that one Spanish pamphleteer wrote in 1643, ready? <laughs> he said, he was, he was commenting on, an, uh, uh, on the social, economic, and political climate uh, in Europe. He said, every nation is so turned upside down that many great leading minds believe that we are approaching the end of the world. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you, whatever the past couple years have been, comparatively, it's not that bad, <laughs> right? We are actually living in a pretty good time, right? This was, this was a like cataclysmic period of like a hundred years or so in Europe that was devastating, right? And that's the period in which this carol was written, right? That's the backdrop, kind of gives a little bit of a different picture, right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit more here. So your first fill-in though, we're going to jump in here, talk about our, our first Christmas carol, or our first uh, fill-in here for this Christmas carol. So we know that it is God rest ye, comma, or I'm sorry, no, that's not, <laughs> I already messed up. God rest ye, Mary, comma, gentlemen, right? We all know that's how it's supposed to be spelled. Because if you move that comma around, we're either 
asking God to rest his merry gentleman or were telling the merry gentleman that if they would just for the love of God take a nap. Um, you know, no, it means God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen, right? That, that, that rest is meant to be merry is what we interpret it now. But that's actually still not even the accurate interpretation of what that verse, that, that, that song is saying in that first stanza there. What it's actually saying, if you go back and read it in the Middle English or early Middle English in which it was written, the words rest and merry have different meanings, right? The word rest actually means to make. And the word merry means mighty in the Middle English. So you could accurately say what this is saying is, God make you mighty, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Right? That is the actual interpretation of what that verse is trying to say. And we know that because you go back to other pieces that were penned at that time, and you have like, they would refer to England as merry old England. They weren't talking about like merry old England, right? It was referred to England as a regional and global superpower, so they would call it mighty old England, right? Robin Hood and his merry men weren't a bunch of happy campers, you know what I mean? That wasn't what they were doing, right? It was meant to be Robin Hood and his mighty men, right? That was the, that was the picture that was given. If they were going to use the word merry as we would use it, they would refer to it as jolly, Right? And they did. They referred to it as jolly old England, if that's the, 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 the wording they were going for. Right? And that's why to this day in, in England, they don't say Merry Christmas. They say Happy Christmas. Because Mary had a different meaning. Right? We in the Americas, we changed it to say Merry Christmas. So this accurately says, God make you mighty. Right? Is the, the, the author who, by the way, we don't know who wrote this. This was its first appearance of these written words were in a journal dating back to the 1600s. It wasn't put to music until the 1700s. There's no known author to this, but it started circulation as, as uh, around mid-1600s. And what we do know, though, is that the author points us back to that our strength comes from remembering that Jesus is the one who's come to save us, right? Our strength is from Jesus who came to save us. Now keep in mind, right, this is not a, this is not a time where, where things are peaceful, right? This is a time that, that actually there was great, the civil war that was taking place, right? The current civil war in England, preceded by the Thirty Years' War, preceded by the Hundred Years' War, was all wars fought between Protestants and Catholics, right? The, the church, because nothing says love your neighbor like a hundred years of war. Right? Nothing, <laughs> right? Nothing says you're, we're the body of Christ like civil war. Um, right? That this was, and it was this bringing this back. It was meant to call people back to the simple truth of the gospel. Right? That our strength, true power, true ability comes back to it's what God gives us in Jesus. Isaiah 40, verse 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. Interesting. He increases, uh, he gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. Can I tell you, that's a verse I need right now in life, <laughs> especially in the, in the holiday season, right? That, man, I could use some, some strength because I feel weary. I could use some power because I feel weak, right? Especially when you look at things going on in the world. One of the greatest factors, can I tell you, for people doing things that they shouldn't do is that people feel weak or powerless. 
And so in, in order to feel powerful, in order to feel like they have control of their life, they'll do things that they shouldn't do, which end up causing harm and dismay, right? We can see that we look back through like just social upheaval, even current social upheaval, people feel powerless. And so they're trying to do something to gain power back, to feel like they have control over their lives. What we're pointing back to is that that doesn't come from us. True strength, true power, it comes from the Lord, right? It comes from our connection with him. Habakkuk uh, 3.19, and by the way, we just don't use the word Habakkuk in the church enough. I know it's only three pages in your Bible, depending on the size of your Bible, but Habakkuk's a good, a good um, book of the Bible if you want to read something. Habakkuk's unique because the book of Habakkuk, he's one of the minor prophets. Habakkuk, unlike all the other prophets, isn't so much writing to Israel um, what God is saying. It's mostly him writing to God, saying, God, look at what's going on. Everything's crazy. Israel's doing all the things it shouldn't do, and it's God not responding to Israel, it's God responding to Habakkuk, right? And I appreciate that, because I feel like most of the time, my conversations with God, that's how that goes, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, God, oh, things are crazy. I'm ready to listen whenever you want to talk, right? God is responding to Habakkuk, and, and so in the first two chapters of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is basically telling God, Israel's not doing what it's supposed to do. They're doing all these crazy things. They're worshiping idols. Everything's gone bad. There's injustice. And he's giving all this basically laments. In the last chapter, he's describing, he's saying how God is still going to rescue his people, the righteous people, right? He's going to do for you and I what he did for the Israelites in the Red Sea. He's going to split the waters and he's coming to rescue us right? Very much the picture of the Christmas story. He is preceding the birth of Jesus and the rescue of humanity through Jesus, right? But he's doing it in a way and saying that, listen, God is going to split the seas to come get you if he has to. That's kind of like his whole thing leading up to this. And then he ends his book, his writings here, with this one verse. Verse uh, 19 here. It is his last words of Habakkuk. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on high heights. Here's what's cool. That word strengthen in other parts of the Bible is used as the word valor, right? Valor. That's a fun word to use, right? That there's this picture of it's not just physical strength, it's courage, right? And that word high places, when it talks about high places, that is always, up and until um, the New Testament, that is almost entirely referred to as places of worship, Right? Those words are used in, in, the, in the Hebrew. Those are used as places of worship when it talks about the high places. These are the places that Israel would set up um, places of worship to God. And then when like the Hittites and the, the, the other ites and all those ites right, come in and they tear down the places of worship to God, they would build their own places of worship in those places to idols. right? Because the high places were always meant to be places of worship. Worship, And that was important because if you lived in first century world and you wanted to go, you know, like we were going to have like a Sunday service, one, you didn't, you couldn't just flip open your iPhone and be like, what day is it? I thought it was Friday. We're on Saturday, right? Anybody have that already yet this year? You ever be like, how is it only Tuesday? I thought it was Friday. That was me this week. Um, yeah, like you wouldn't have that. So if you missed what day it was, you would see, oh, they are starting to, we're going to, they're starting to have a worship session up on the high places, on the mountain, on the hill, wherever it is. And you would know, oh, it's Sunday, <laughs> right? Let's go worship, right? It was a, it was a way of gathering people together. It was, a, well, it was meant to be plainly seen to call people higher up with you to worship the Lord. 
And so this verse kind of has two simultaneous meanings when we talk about uh, how the Lord gives us strength to come to Him on the high places, right? The duality of this is that one, God is the one who gives us strength to enter into communion with Him, right? God's the one who gives us strength to enter into communion with Him. That's like if you were invited to a friend's party, right, Christmas party, but your car was out of gas, that friend drives to you to put gas in your car and then drives you to his Christmas party, right? That's the picture. We don't have to go and summon strength to get to the Lord. The Lord gives us the strength to come and enter into communion with Him, right? It's not, we don't have to make it happen on our own. Um, in fact, anytime we are trying to summon for ourselves enough strength to do something for God, what we're actually doing is we're saying, God, what you have for me is not good enough, so I have to do it myself, right? That's not Scripture. Not saying that serving the Lord isn't easy, right? There's lots of times that it's difficult to serve the Lord, but we don't do it under our own might, Amen. right? Amen. All right, and the second thing is that God gives us, it also means that he gives us the courage to worship him with boldness for all to see, right? We are, we are called by Jesus to be a city on a hill, right? That we are meant to be a, a light in the darkness, a, a candle put in the middle of a room is meant to give light to the whole house. Nobody takes and lights a candle and puts it under a basket, right? That there's this picture that you and I are meant to be seen pointing the world to the Lord, that our lives are meant to shine differently in the midst of all the chaotic darkness in the world. That when people look at all the things that are going on in the world, they should, they should look at you and I and say, why are you different? Why is your life, you're going through what I'm going through, but you're not going through it the same way. That's what we are meant to be, lights in the darkness, pointing people to a relationship with God. Amen? Oh, okay, I'm getting out of breath. I'm sorry. Okay, number two. Everybody say number two. Okay, y'all said number two too fast. Um, number two, uh, the other thing I want to look at here is the second part of that first part of, of this Christmas carol, right? It says, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. I love that because, you know, if you think about it, there's not too many Christmas carols that mention Satan. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a big part of the story, you know? Um, you know, nobody thinks Merry Christmas, Satan, <laughs> right? That's just not normally the, the pattern of thought, right? But we have to, we have to show the world into which Jesus came, and it was because he was ransoming us from the power of Satan. Your, uh, your next fill-in here says the author points out that in our fallen state, humanity rightly belongs to Satan. In our fallen state, in our sinful state, we are correctly, for all the right reasons, we have given authority to Satan to be the, the ultimate of power in our lives. If we say no to Jesus, we are saying yes to all the, the works of darkness, right? We're giving Satan authority in our lives. That's, that's I mean, that, that transition of authority, God made humanity, and he made the world, right? He made Adam and Eve, and he put them in charge of the garden to guard it, right? He gave them stewardship of the garden. Don't get me wrong. The world is God's, right? He made it. But Satan has temporary control. He's been leased it by humanity, right? It's a lease. It's not, it's not all his. That's why, like, Satan went and was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Satan's just tempting Jesus with his own stuff, 
right? Like Jesus is like, I made all this, right? I authored this, like I spoke it and it's here, right? But it's been temporarily given to Satan because humanity leased it over, right? We signed the lease, we said, you're in control. And so we, in our fallen state, in our unredeemed state, are rightly in darkness, we are rightly helpless, we have a bitter, evil master in sin and, and evil. And Jesus came to save us, right? That's what this is pointing back to, reminding us, each and every one of us, that we can all fall into this place of forgetting that Jesus is the one who entered into the darkness. First John describes that the light of the world entered into the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it, right? We are in that darkness, and it's always up to us to come back to that simple truth of comprehending that he came to us when we had no right to be with him. It's no mistake that Jesus states his purpose through the parable in Matthew. Matthew 18, 12 says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go and search for the one that is lost? Likewise, in Luke 19, verse 9 to 10, he says, uh, Jesus is, um, he's going to the house of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Remember, who remembers that song? I feel like that's, I feel like I have like a head rush back to, like I'm in preschool. You know what I mean? Um, right, Jesus is going to the house of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is, he is a unique soul, right? Because there were two types of sinners that, the Hebrews, the Jews would talk about, right? You had sinners, which is just all of us, right? They would say it wasn't them. It was also them, right? It's all of us. But then there were tax collectors, right? That's a different category of people, right? Because the ta- this, the, you could be a sinner and like, eh, it's fine, right? That was their mentality about it. But tax collectors were considered traitors, right? Because they were collecting taxes from the Jewish people for the Romans who had come and conquered them right? So they were like extra, they were the extra baddies, right? If there was anybody who was unredeemable in society at that time, it was tax collectors. They were so hated, it was normal actually to have Roman centurions uh, stationed at their homes outside of their, um, their, their places that they would live to protect them because they were constantly under threat, right? So Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's just a tax collector who wanted to get to Jesus, right? So Jesus makes dinner reservations at his house. And listen to what he says when the Pharisees question him about this. He says, today salvation has come to this house because he, talking about Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Right? Amen? Amen. Jesus is still seeking and saving that which is lost. For the record, if you're here today and you feel like, wow, that's great for back then, like, nope, that's today. Jesus is alive today. Jesus is still seeking and saving today that which is lost. Amen. And listen, you can be here and you can be like, yeah, I know Jesus. I've gone to church. I've asked him into my life. I'm saved. I get it, right? But we can sometimes forget that he he is still looking to seek and save the things that are lost in your life. He still wants to seek and save your marriage. He still wants to seek and save your family. He still wants to seek and save your, your, your whatever, like fill in the blank. What's your situation? Jesus is still looking to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen? Amen. Amen. By the way, just a quick, quick note here. Can I tell you? Do you know that you are all sons of Abraham? Do you know, right? Just a little theological point. You are, women too, 
Ladies, say hey. hey. Right? That's you too. You are also sons of Abraham. And I'm, I'm, I'll tell you why. This is why. Because in Christ Jesus, there's not male nor female, nor slave nor free, right? That there is now, there is, there is not Jew nor Gentile, right? We are, all, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are entering into the original Abrahamic state, right? Where Abraham trusted God and was accounted to him as righteousness. Actually, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. When we believe on Jesus, Jesus becomes our sin and God sees us take the identity of Jesus, right? You are, your title in heaven is the righteousness of Christ. You are, that's you, that's your personal name. So whoever you are, wherever you're at in life, whatever's going on in your world, that is, that is a blank statement for every one of us. That is, a, that is a blanket statement. Each and every one of us, when God hears our prayer, when God hears your voice, he hears his firstborn son. And because God hears his firstborn son and sees his firstborn son in you, you are full and complete inheritor of all of his promises. You hear that? Because only the firstborn son of a family was the inheritor of his father's wealth. You are the firstborn son of God. Because Jesus has made you his own righteousness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scandalously unfair. But that's why Jesus came. Because, not because it was going to be a fair trade, because it wasn't a fair trade. That's why Jesus came. Amen? All right. Whew, I'm getting excited. All right, hold on. So, number three, I just want to kind of wrap this up here. This is the third point here I have for you when we talk about this verse. I would, I would love to go through and kind of just break down every verse because it really, this, this, um, this Christmas carol paints the picture, you know, poetically of Luke's recount of the, the nativity and the birth of Jesus. Uh, and, and it describes it, some poetic license how the, 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 the shepherds sought the Lord and it was all the wind and rain and they left their, their sheep in the fields to seek Jesus, right? There's, he, he's obviously painting it in his own interpretation, but there's this, this awesome line at the end, this awesome part at the end that is always left out in modern renditions, right? Because if you look up, you know, God rest you merry gentlemen on YouTube, you're going to get like the pentafrendics version. Pentafrendics. That's <laughs> pentatonics. We have a, Gavin and I have friends that we call the pentafrendics. And now I'm always going to say that. So, the pentatonics. So, man. Um, so, if you look that up, right, you're going to hear like they, they kind of just go back and they just keep repeating, you know, God rest you merry gentlemen at, at the very end. And that's kind of how like all the modern songs wrap it up. But the last verse in the actual uh, Christmas carol reads this. Now to the Lord sing praise, all you within this place. And with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace this holy tide of Christmas, all others doth deface, O tidings of comfort and joy. And I like that it wraps it up with this, right? It has this picture that in, in, in the midst of all these things, it is calling us back again. The church was essentially divided into two camps for the past 130 years, had been killing each other right? With like hiring mercenaries to kill each other. Like that was the, the purpose. And so the, the, the author of this points us back to the foundations of our faith, that it is on Jesus and each other we should be embracing. We are not meant to be a divided church. We're meant to be the body of Christ. And can I tell you the first thing, Satan's first work in the world was to divide humanity from God. His second work is to divide man from woman. 
right? And he has been at work trying to divide the body of Christ ever since. We are called to be the body of Christ in unity with one another, right? We are meant to be shoulder to shoulder, facing life together. Sometimes, can I tell you, there have been times in my life where I felt like the, the only people I had in my life that I could lean on was my church family. And that's the way it's supposed to be, right? That we are meant to be for each other, the body of Christ, right? That we grieve with those who grieve and we laugh with those who laugh, right? That we hold each other the way God wants us to be the body of Christ together. I love, uh, with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. We are charged by the author to be joined together in worship to the Lord. They propose in that section that says, uh, all others doth deface, that we will end up devaluating the celebration of Jesus and Christmas if we don't keep the focus of Christmas on Christ. That is the ultimate point of Christmas, that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the central focus. Jesus is everything that we should be pursuing, right? And everything else is just noise if we're not making it about Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that want to distract us. There's a lot of things that want to take our attention away. There's a lot of things that want to trip us up. There's a, there's, there, if maybe you're that person where like everybody wants to come and have like a Christmas party at your house, right? Or maybe you're the person that everybody wants to have come and have a Christmas party at their house, right? Or maybe you feel like you're somewhere in between and you, or, or life's crazy or there's like, there's family drama or there's financial drama or there's stresses of this or that or you don't know what to get for your dad because nobody knows what to get for their dad. Amen? Okay, good. I'm not alone. How do you get, what do you get for a stranger you've known your whole life? <laughs> I have no idea what to get my father. Okay, um, right, whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever it is that you are facing right now today in your life, Jesus is still wanting to step into. I love that the, the verse ends every stanza with tidings of comfort and joy. Can I tell you in the 16th century and 17th century, tidings just means greetings, right? You wouldn't get a lot of greetings that were going to come with comfort and joy, right? It's been a hundred years of not a lot of comfort, not a lot of joy, right? Like it, it was, it was, I mean, mattresses were still held up with rope, <laughs> you know, that's the world it was in. Dentistry had just started. Anyways, right? There was, there was not a lot of, there was not a lot of comfort and joy in the world. And so each of these verses in the song ends with saying tidings, greetings of comfort and joy. Can I tell you, all of heaven still wants to greet you today with comfort and joy. He still does. And I get it. We can turn on the news. There's a thousand things that want to make you and I nervous and afraid and fearful and worried. Heaven is not worried by earth's craziness. Do you know that? Jesus is not sitting there in heaven being like, I didn't plan any of this, right? Like that's, that's not, Jesus is not sitting there being shaken by what we as people end up doing. He is still looking to be the prince of peace in your life. He still wants to be your joy and his joy wants to be your strength if you'll let him, right? So where are you, I, I, I want to encourage you, where are you today? Are you in a place where you feel like you are just emptied of strength? Then today's the day to, to, to in faith, 
reach on and hold on to Jesus and let him be the one who gives you strength. If you're here today and you're feeling weary and weak, let him be the one who gives you power. If you're here today and you're feeling fearful and worried, let him be the one to enter into the places of our darkness and let his light in. Can I tell you, I've said this before, but it's true, we all have a junk drawer. We do. It's human. Like the, hu- the one great human plight is that at some point we're all going to have to clean out a junk drawer of ours, right? Or, or, or the junk drawer of like a, a, a family member who's moving and you're the one who's tasked with cleaning out the junk drawer, putting it all in a box, right? We all have a junk drawer in our spiritual life that we just want to hold on to and keep Jesus out of because this is where all the garbage is. And really, it's just bad. Well, I'll get to it. It's back there. I'll get to it. The reality is Jesus didn't come and enter into the darkness of the world so that he could be kept out of any part of our lives, right? He came and he came to be the light of the world so that every part he can come and step into. God is not surprised by the darkened corners of our lives. God's not shocked by that. In fact, those are the places Jesus wants to go into. And can I tell you, there's no greater joy than saying, God, I'm totally surrender. All the doors are open in my life. You come and enter in. I am weak. I am frail. I am feeble. I'm in need. I can't do this on my own. And let Jesus be the one who brings comfort and joy because nothing else will. Amen? And that's not, listen, that's not a message for somebody who's here for the first time or never heard the gospel message. That's for each and every one of us. Man, I got to keep Jesus in those places in my life so he can keep filling it up with light, keep taking out the, the junk, keep refining me that I could live a life that so mirrors and matches that what he already calls me, the righteousness of Christ Jesus, that he exchanged him for me. So wherever you're at this morning, listen, don't, don't, let, don't let life stresses and chaos get the best of you. Don't let the season and the, and the time of need get the best of you. Don't let going to the grocery store and seeing everybody act like they have never seen a, a line or, or human decency before, right? Don't let that shake you. Let's come back to the simple gospel, right? He has come to make you new. He has come to ransom you. He came to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. That this day, heaven still declares that there is greetings for you of comfort and joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, will you stand with me here as we're going to pray if you're able? Amen. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever, wherever you find yourself, whatever the situation is, listen, there are folks that we want to be the body of Christ shoulder to shoulder with you. There are folks that would be here that would love to pray with you for whatever's going on in life, for that 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 person, that family member who just won't go away or that family member who just won't come back, right? Whatever it is, or anywhere in between, whatever the life situation is that's going on in your world, whatever your need is, we want to pray with you. Can I tell you, God is not so busy that he can't hear the voice of his children, right? God is not so busy that he doesn't have time to answer your prayer. God is not so busy that he doesn't want to stop everything and hear from his child, so I want you to make sure, listen, we're going to pray here and you're going to be released, but I want to invite you, it, whatever it is that you need prayer for, there are going to be folks here that would love to pray with you. I'd be happy to pray with you. Let us come shoulder to shoulder with you and be the body of Christ together. Amen? So Heavenly Father, this morning, God, we thank you that we have the privilege of being able to come boldly before the throne of grace, boldly before God of the universe. 
And we can simply hear from heaven. We can bring our needs and we can trust that, God, you have everything in our lives in the palm of your hands. That you are not so distant or so big that you don't care about even the little things. Lord, we give our trust, our hope, uh, and our joy all pinned on you, Jesus, because you're the one who came to ransom us. You've saved us and you're with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, this Christmas, we put the, the focus on the season, not on all the extra stuff, not on all the, the decorations or gifts. We put it on the, the, the perfect gift, you, Christ Jesus. And we make room for you in our lives, in our homes, in our minds, and our hearts this Christmas. In the name of Jesus, if you agree, can you say amen?